Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Today, I want to talk about a difficult subject, and this is when we have sexually inappropriate behavior with someone who has some type of dementia. This happens sometimes, and it's uncomfortable to deal with. It's not something we expect, and it can be really confusing because we're not sure how to work with that person, how to um, ignore them or tell them that their behavior is inappropriate. And these are difficult things to talk about. And they're even harder to deal with in your own home or out in public when someone is misbehaving that way. Should we be offended by it? Should we be working to curb that behavior? And why does it happen to begin with? Well, first of all, dementia itself can reduce a person's inhibitions, which might expose their private thoughts, their feelings, their behaviors, you know, in a, in a personal nature kind of way, um, especially including sex. And that's what families often observe. Where's the lack of inhibition? Where's, where is this coming from? Well, if it's a person that has gone back in time, maybe in their younger years, They were more of a promiscuous person. Maybe they played the field. Maybe they flirted a lot. Maybe they had a lot of relationships over the years. And all of that can surface again because they may think they're in their teens or their 20s. And when that happens, what happens is these actions are just symptoms of the disease. And sometimes that person is just looking for a human connection, a a way to fill up their libido and make them feel like they're still valuable, that they're still important in the world. And that may sound funny, but what do people do when they're teenagers anyway? I mean, just look at teenagers around your neighborhood. Look at teenagers on TV. <laughs> they, you know, uh, they, they're doing what we did when we were younger. They're wearing, the girls are wearing bra tops with their midriff showing with, you know, uh, hip hugger pants and holes in the pants. And these are not new things. These are things we did, uh, wearing short skirts and I mean, I really, I see some skirts today that I just say, wow, they had better have, you know, something connected underneath that that keeps it in place because when they sit down, (laughs) that's going to rise up. 
and everybody's going to be able to see, right? Uh, this is who teenagers are. They're exploring their sexuality. They're, they're, they have a lack of inhibition in a huge way. So when a person with a memory loss and cognitive impairment, such as Alzheimer's or even Lewy body, are going back in time, they go back to that place. That's where they think they are. So it's not inappropriate to them. That's just the way they are. And maybe they built that over time. Maybe this was something they always did, like I was saying before. And the person may use language that that other people have never heard them use before. So it's a little shocking and it seems out of character. Or it may just have been an impulse. The reason why the person said what they said was just a lack of impulse control. So as an example, a family member who may have always been sort of a reserved person would never act inappropriately or out of social norms might begin to remove their clothes in public. It happens all the time. They get hot. They go out stark naked to check their mailbox. I hear this stuff day in and day out. Nothing is surprising to me. But those behaviors are not only embarrassing to watch, but they could also jeopardize that person's dignity and, quite frankly, their safety. And understanding that this is the disease talking and not the person will help you as their care partner to cope. If they would never have acted out of character like this before and they're doing it now, it will literally shock the hell out of you. If they've always been sort of a sexual person, it shouldn't shock you quite so much, but it doesn't mean we want it to happen either. So what is this? Is it an unmet need that's causing uh, this memory or behavioral symptom? And how do we approach it? It's a sensitive situation. And what I can tell you is try not to panic. Try not to act like, oh my gosh, what what has just happened here? Don't freak out and yell at them because the more upset you become, the more upset that person will become. So if you can remain calm with it and say, hey, um, why don't we put a shirt on? (laughs) How about I grab a towel for you so we can put it around your body or something like that if you can't get pants on them right away? Uh, Grab a a blanket or something that you see over a couch or something and, and see what you can what you can do to cover them quickly. (laughs) You know, I've heard things like, um, I had somebody tell me, oh, probably about a year ago, my dad comes out for breakfast without his pants on sometimes. Well, that may not necessarily be a sexual gesture. He may have just forgotten how to get dressed. So, It wouldn't be that hard to just redirect him and say, hey, dad, why don't we go get some clothes on? Let's 
let's go down to your bedroom and see what what um, we have in your closet that you can wear today. Talk about the weather on the way down there so you're not focusing on their nakedness. Um, boy, it looks like it's going to be a cloudy day today. It's probably not going to be as hot as other days, so let's get a shirt and a sweatshirt on or something like that. You can also stand near the bathroom if they're taking off their clothes just to go to the bathroom. That happens sometimes because people will think, well, I've got to take these clothes completely off and they come out and they're not dressed. And sometimes it helps just to stand near their closet and or in their bedroom somewhere and stand by while they're getting dressed and be ready to cover them up if they come out undressed. Like I was saying, just grab a towel or something. Be prepared for it. Don't let it be something that is unbelievably shocking, right? Because the more you think it's shocking, the harder it is for you to stay calm and to act instead of react. One thing you can do, and I would like all of you to think about this, go on Buck and Buck, B-U-C-K-A-N-D-B-U-C-K.com, Buck and Buck. It's a clothing company that has um, alternative clothing, adaptive clothing, for people with dementia so that if you can't get those clothes off of them to get them changed or they're put, taking their clothes off inadvertently, as we've been talking about, you can get clothes that, that um, have uh, Velcro closures and you can have the Velcro opening and closure be in the back of the shirt instead of the front of the shirt. That will help enormously to keep them from trying to pull it off because if they can't see it, they won't mess with it generally. But it's it, again, it's good to have that adaptive clothing if you have somebody that will not change their clothes. They won't go in and take a shower or something like that. And you can just pull the Velcro from any place and it will come off. And that makes life so much easier easier for you. We have Velcro shoes, shirts, pants, and Buck and Buck Clothing is out of Seattle. It's an American-made company, and they can help you with um, making sure that you have the person's exact sizes. So if they have one leg longer than another, they can customize that and and help with um, that kind of of problem. So make sure that clothing is easy to get on and off. And uh, buttons are never good. Zippers are not good if you don't want them to shed their clothing. If they're making inappropriate comments, like to a restaurant server or something, try redirecting them by telling them what the specials are for the day or what it, what would you like to drink or this is what I, I had last time I was here. This was really good. Just redirect, 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 and change the subject. Other things you can do is look for new things to do together, things that you can use to become meaningful engagements for them, like um, playing a board game or turning on some music and dancing. Um 
turning on music and just singing or something if you need to redirect them if they're acting inappropriate. Uh, some other things you can do is get them get them items to hold because a lot of people with dementia crave texture changes like soft fleece or cotton. If they become fidgety, uh, have them hold a pillow or a stuffed animal or a blanket or a squeeze ball. There's just a lot of things that you can do to try to redirect their behavior to something else and get their mind off of it. And if they're really fidgety, just sit with them on the same level and try to get eye contact with them. Try holding their hands or offering them something to hold if they need to. And sometimes they just need more attention. Just that that they know you're in the room and, you know, maybe they're... They're a little freaked out. They're a little too hot. The more attention you pay to their body language and so forth, the better off you will be at reading what their body language is so that you can really try to work more efficiently with whatever their issue is. So how would you even start that conversation? And an issue of inappropriate behavior can really fluster you as a caregiver and put you on edge, um, anticipating that it can happen at any time, and that is not fun, recognizing that the disease is causing the action and not the person. I think your best strategy could be to preserve their dignity, try not to embarrass them, Try to just redirect them to another place in the house, uh, get them back in the house. Uh, Whatever you can do to change that mood, that trajectory from something sexual to whatever it is you can focus on, the television show that you're watching, a book that you're reading, uh, what's happening in your day, whatever it is. And if you can show a confident and understanding attitude towards that person, it will help you to redirect and divert the situation without embarrassing the family member and without embarrassing yourself. Okay? So thinking about those kinds of things, if you know it's going to happen, have some things ready in your house, some items, blankets, uh, a shirt, a pair of uh, sweatpants, something like in the, in each room and just have them sitting there so that you can quickly get that person dressed if needed or redirect them and try to talk them through the situation by bringing up some other conversation topic that is meaningful to them so that they don't continue that behavior. It is difficult. It is painful. I received a couple of emails about that this morning. It seemed to have an influx of this with summertime. It's making people behave in ways they wouldn't ordinarily behave. So I thought it was time to address this. Well, this show is going to be a little bit shorter today. 
Um, it's only going to be about a half an hour, 40 minutes or what have you. But the next topic I want to talk about is what happens when someone wants to pull away socially? Why is that happening? Why are they shadowing me? Why am I their safety blanket? We'll talk about this and much more after we hear a word about my company. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, we're back. And I want to shift gears a little bit. I'm addressing some emails that I received from listeners, and now I want to talk about social withdrawal and why people with memory loss and cognitive impairment have a tendency to socially withdraw and attach themselves to one certain person. What's going on? Why are they doing this? Well... Part of it is that when their world is spinning out of control, they gravitate to a person they know can guide them through the process. And they will hang on to that person for dear life. A husband, a wife, a daughter, a son, a family member, the closest person to them that has always apparently provided stability for them is the safety zone they're looking for. And they know that person isn't going to lead them into danger. They may get mad at them and frustrated with them sometimes, but the truth of the matter is they'd rather have that than not knowing what the conversation is when people are talking around them when they are feeling overwhelmed and overstimulated by too much conversation or current conversation that they cannot follow. So it's always good to try to talk about history of theirs. Uh, When they were younger, what did they do when they were in their 20s? What kind of clothes did they wear? What What was the TV shows of the day? If you're talking about what happened today or someplace you have to go, uh, they can't follow the conversation and it creates anxiety. 
and we will have days where they are lucid and responsive, and then we have days where they are silent, and they are distant, and they seem aloof, and we just can't figure it out. We just kind of we just kind of address them as oh, it's just one of those days for you know dad, or it's it's one of those occurrences for mom, you know, and they can sit for hours on end and watch a show and never speak to you. And then all of a sudden, just turn around and ask for their favorite candy. And then go back to watching the show that they were watching and and not speak to you at all. And you're like, well, this didn't do any good. Why did I even bother to come over here today? They're not paying an ounce of attention to me. Well, if you kind of think about it as your own life, if you were sitting and watching a movie or you were sitting and watching a a football game or something like that, uh, you could do that for hours on end without really conversing with somebody unless you're screaming at the officials for the missed call or the, uh, you know, (laughs) misjustice that took place with your team and they shouldn't have called whatever they called or, you know, you're just talking about the score or, or trying to be an armchair quarterback or something like that. You might engage people in conversation, but in general, you may just be able to sit there sort of quietly and watch the game and and have a have a drink and and mind your own business. Why is that weird? Well, it's weird if that person doesn't seem to notice your presence. But think about it this way. This is their way of feeling like they are focused on something. They're not giving the wrong answer. They're not they're not asking questions that are inappropriate. They're, they're just trying to maintain their semblance of dignity and that they are in control. And we see it as social withdrawal. So if you think about it, the things that bother people, like someone said to me in an email, Um, I was watching a baseball game with my dad and after an hour and a half, he finally turned around and looked at me and said, where's my Butterfinger? Meaning his candy bar. And his daughter said, if my dad were to die overnight, the last words he would have said to me were, where's my Butterfinger? That's not meaningful. That's not fun. And she was sort of taking offense to the fact that She can't have intellectual, thoughtful, sweet conversations with her dad anymore. She would love for him to turn and look at her and say, hey, you know, Kim, I love you or what have you. But that may not happen anymore. It just may not happen anymore. That intimacy goes away as their their personality is changing as the disease is progressing. And for us, we would say to ourselves, gosh, you know, socialization has a lot of benefits. We see friends. We talk to somebody that likes us, makes us feel good. <laughs> it, it really helps endorphins in our body, right? It helps us to to see the positivity of the day, 
But for the person with dementia, it's just safer for them to stay home. It's safer for them to stay quiet. They could be nervous about forgetting a name or failing to recognize an important person in their life. That's why they might not look at you and tell you they love you because they think you're somebody else. These are difficult things. And social withdrawal can also be caused by a desire to avoid embarrassment and having friends see them struggle. You know, everybody knows dementia doesn't just go away. So what happens if if it sticks around? Depression sets in. Happens all the time. And that might be what you're seeing with the person. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're finding a reason to get up in the morning. Um, Maybe they're struggling in that way and they just don't know how to express it. So for you, if you can be patient and find simple, joyful moments and try to connect with them some way on a deeper level, just if they stop and look at you for a second, just say, you know, if if I were you, I would say to my dad, um, dad, have I told you today that I love you? And here's your butterfinger. (laughs) Don't make it hard. Don't make it personal. If they're withdrawing, they're struggling with their own persona. They're struggling to feel like they are a part of something. And... That is hard on family. It's hard on friends. It's hard on that person. So surrounding them with friends and family that understand and can support them can sometimes help open those doors so they don't become reclusive or unsociable. Uh, Try organizing like a cookout in the backyard with family and friends and remind everybody to speak one at a time and to share the care and spend 10 minutes at a time with that person so that they feel like they are still connected to people. They've they've lived through the early stages with asking repetitive questions that pissed people off (laughs) and saying the wrong things and wearing the wrong clothes and not being able to remember people, places, memories, and it's been chipped away at so much over the years that they've gotten to a place where they only want to be around people that understand them, empathize or sympathize with them, and will help them. And That makes them feel like you're my person now. You're the person that's going to take care of me. And can it become unnerving? Can it become smothering? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why it's important to bring other supportive friends and family into the fold. 
teach them ways to talk about memory lane so that the person still feels wanted and connected and understood and still able to converse, set up, uh, get a list and set up um, times and give people offerings of being able to do things with that person that they enjoyed. Was it taking them for a walk? Was it playing ball with a dog or playing laser tag with a cat or is it watching their favorite movie or their favorite sports show or playing tennis or what is it? What is it? So try to find those things that will make the interaction comfortable if you have somebody else coming in to sort of spell you for a little bit because you are that safety blanket and you're suffocating. That will help you. If you can, utilize something funny. Have somebody that can tell jokes. Um, Laugh about things in the past that were humorous. If If that person is apprehensive about going out with friends or being around other people. Um, Try to come up with some stories that you can think of that help them remember the joyful engagements they had with that person over the years. Oh, remember when you guys used to go out for drinks and you would just sit and laugh and laugh and laugh as your people watching or whatever it is. Um, Every house has a social hub. In my house, it's a kitchen. It could be the family room. It could be the backyard. Um, Make sure that you always have another person that is present and included in the conversation uh, with family activities so that you can shift that safety net to a few other people that that person with the diagnosis feels comfortable with. It's a process. It, it came to play because they found you to be the only person that made them feel comfortable. So we have to be able to guide them and show them that other people love them and care about them and want to be with them and that they can feel comfortable with those people and that they will speak one of a time, one at a time. And plan outings with, with those folks, going for a ride in the mountains or going for a hike Um, they may be reluctant to go to like family reunions or something. So if, if you want to take them to something like that, ask another trusted close relative to attend with them or just plan smaller outings like meeting for coffee or lunch. And again, do the one-on-one where we do the share the care, where you have a time that people come in and and grab that person and go sit down and talk with them for 10 minutes, and then they tag the next person in line that they're told to tag, and uh, that person spends 10 minutes with them, and on and on and on, so that they have the ability to have some social interaction. And make sure that if you have any activities going on, Make sure that they don't make that person anxious, like a lot of of uh, loud music or grandkids over running all over the place. Um, and instead of playing board games, um, ask them to come out and hold the the garden hose for you while you're watering or something while everybody's there. If you need to to get them to move to a different different place, and 
you know, ask them to be social in different ways. And if they say no, they don't want to do it, just reschedule. Try to invite one friend at a time over to the house instead of having a big group. If that doesn't work, um, call the friend on a phone or do it on Zoom and they can visit that way. To encourage those social activities, again, use Memory Lane, their life story, to uncover what those meaningful activities might look like. If she always got her nails done, schedule that activity and invite a good friend to go along. And and build those meaningful memories together. Work on a scrapbook. Go through old photo albums. Talk about various stages of their life. Ask friends and family to come up with stories about places and memories that would be important to them. So the biggest thing I can tell you is really set up a monthly social calendar and schedule your family members to come by, you know, for one hour a month and do something with your person and something that they would enjoy doing, like I was talking about. Um, And maybe it's a couple friends coming over at one time and all having coffee. Uh, Keep it the same day each month because routine is incredibly important for that person. Um, And the activity could change, but if you could keep it the same, it could be better. Maybe you have somebody that comes over and just helps read a book and somebody that comes over and takes them for a walk and somebody that comes over and helps them wash the dog or whatever it is. And have that person come every month for the same allotment of time on the same day, same hour, as often as you can. And that gives you time to get away so that they're not clinging to you and suffocating you. Okay? Engage that person's reaction to the people who are coming. Does their face light up when they see a certain family member or a friend? Consider recording thoughts and feelings about what you have learned and what you know works for your person and then utilize that information for the for the respite people that are coming over for you. And for goodness sakes, learn a little bit more about their life story. Did they go to lunch with friends? Did they talk on the phone with family all the time? Did they like to entertain grandkids? Maintaining a regular social Activity calendar will help that person to feel connected. These are, it sounds easier than it actually is, I suppose, but you really have to think about ways that you can change the trajectory and utilize what you know about that person and their friends and meaningful engagement and put it all together to keep them from becoming socially reclusive and to keep you from being the only person in their universe. It's a safe place for them, but it's an uncomfortable uncomfortable place sometimes for the caregiver. Well, folks, that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed what I've talked about, and I will be back next week with more resources and strategies on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. 
been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.